American Timelines is a member of the Queen City Podcast Network. For more information, go to queencitypodcastnetwork.com. Richard Marks sucks. Sounds like a purse that would shape like a vagina. That's the greatest name ever. Leo Jellison. I'm Leo Jellison, bitch. Welcome to another episode of American, American Timelines. Timelines. I'm Amy. And I'm Pork Chop Johnson. Pork Chop Johnson. Pork Chop Johnson. What's, what is Pork Chop Johnson? I about? am a chef, and I'm famous for my pork chops, and I'm covered in pubes. All right, that's Joe. <laughs> my name's Joe. I'm pubes. sorry. I just... I'm like other people's pubes. Like yeah. that would be. I was just picturing a guy, like just like. I don't. We don't need to know about the, pe- the picture and everything. <laughs> like, All right. I don't know. Pork chop. My name is Joe. I don't know why. I, I just. I feel like I've. I've said so many names and fake names that I, it's just like I have to do it now. Like mm-hmm. if I don't do it, the listeners will be disappointed. Nobody's gonna be disappointed. Nobody will. Okay. So nobody's listening. American Timelines is a podcast where Joe and Amy. This cover already sucks. <laughs> American Timelines is a podcast where we cover weird news and pop culture history year by year, taking a deep dive into a true crime or mystery while giving day-by-day context to events. Did that murder happen while Sam and Diane finally kiss on Cheers? Or was that alien abduction the same year that Doc Ellis pitched a no-hitter on LSD? That that was a little... Either way, little we'll lengthy. tell you. You'll find out. That was American a little Timelines. much. Might have been a little much. American Timelines by History for Jerks. All right. We're the jerks, and, and tonight, this is the history. Tonight we are talking about 1976. Yes, we're continuing into 1976. 1976, we last, yes. If you remember, we last left off in March. We did. Of 1976, we, we left off with a, a murdering guy on the, on the run who mm-hmm. murdered his family, yep. and we never heard from him again. His name was uh, Brad, Bradley, Bradford Bishop. Yes, that's right. Bradford, is that right? Yeah. Yep. Uh, not to be confused with the great Steve Bishop, who's also born in March. All right. We but don't need to. We'll, ju- we'll just keep on going here. On, and uh, just so you know, the, the number four uh, television show, uh, according to Nielsen ratings that okay. year, um, was on on Sunday, March 21st. Okay. And uh, it is about uh, just a little synopsis of the show. Yeah. You'll see if you can guess what it is. A wealthy mystery man who runs a detective agency via speakerphone and his personal assistant, Charlie's John Angels. Yep. His detectives oh. are three beautiful you, women. You love me. Who end up in a variety of difficult situations. The cast changed substantially <sighs> over the life of the show. I can tell you all of them in what actresses order. actresses left for various movie, television, and modeling I deals. can tell you all of them in what order. You and can? Literally, Yes. Well, yes. let me. I'll tell you their names, and you tell me who played at them. Sa- okay. Sabrina Duncan. That was Sabrina Duncan was uh, was oh you mean who, what the actors were? Yeah, Kate you told Jackson. Me that. Yep. Kelly Garrett. Jacqueline Smith. And Jill Monroe. Fair Fawcett. Were all graduates of the L.A. Police Academy. However, rather than do meaningful police work like their male counterparts, they were given menial jobs such as meter maid. Mm-hmm. S- who was the meter maid? You know. Um, I think it was Sabrina. Right, crossing guard. That was definitely Jill. 
Nope, that no. was Kelly. Oh, that's right. That's I guess right. You don't know everything about it. And typist. This Jill. is all you see. This is at the beginning this is of the these beginning. episodes. Well, the, no, like you the say you're beginning. I'm, I'm holding you to it's it. It's been a long time. Reclusive millionaire Charlie Townsend hires the trio to work for his private investigation agency. Their only contact with him is through the phone and through his right hand man, John Bosley. Yes. In the course of their duties, they often go undercover to try to get the goods on the various criminals they go after. A year after joining the firm, Jill quits the agency to become a driver on the Formula One circuit and is replaced by her kid sister. Just Cheryl Ladd, Chris Monroe. Chris, yep. who originally was going to be a teacher but followed in her big sister's footsteps and became a police officer herself in San Francisco. But like her big sister, was given menial duties. Mm-hmm. That was the be- Those are the ones that I liked the best was with Chris on them. When Chris was added, it was played mm-hmm. by who? Cheryl Ladd. Oh, Cheryl Ladd. A couple of years later, Sabrina quits to get married and starts a family and is replaced by former Boston policewoman Tiffany Wells. Shelly Hack. Shelly Hack. Tiffany quits a year after joining the firm and was replaced by ex-model Julie Rogers. Tanya Roberts. Oh, gosh. I don't know who that is. The surname of... If you da- saw her, you'd know her. Oh, so here's some trivia about it. See if you know any of these. The surname of David Doyle's character, John Bosley, mm-hmm. was an in-joke reference to the fact that Doyle was often misidentified as, as Tom Bosley. Yeah, as television actor Tom I could Tom see Bosley. that. You could see that. Yeah. So that, that's why they named him that. Oh, that's funny. Which I'm glad that it's, I think of Tom Bosley every time I hear anybody say Bosley. Yeah. Um, there's only one angel to last the entire series. And it was Sabrina. No, it wasn't Sabrina. It was Kelly. Yeah. Kelly Garrett. It was Jacqueline, Jacqueline Smith. Smith. Right, correct. Good. Okay. Uh, that's, you're two for two in this trivia. You do know your shit. I do know my Charlie's Angels, and I thank you for this kind of a little present for putting, putting this, this in here because I know you didn't you have talk to. Talk about the stupid garbage you like. John, <laughs> <laughs> listen to this. John Forsyth was called in at the last minute to voice Charlie. That's right. When the original actor who had been cast turned out to have a drinking problem. Hey, Angels, I got a big... Big thing for you to do today. I'll do um, your goddamn show. Just hold on. Uh, I got a mystery for you to figure out, Angels. Producer Aaron Spelling called Forsyth past midnight on a Friday and begged him to come to the studio immediately as the pilot was to be broadcast after the weekend. Mm. Forsyth ended up recording his first voiceover in his pajamas. Oh. Or as some folks say, pajamas. That's true. Do you know who owns the screen rights to the series? No. It's probably Drew Barrymore. It is Drew Barrymore. Is Good. Okay. Um, do you know who Kate Jackson was originally cast as? But she preferred the role of Sabrina. She was originally cast as something else. Oh, she was Kelly? Yep. Did you see I that? Did. You saw that. You can see I can't it. see from here at all, no. You can't? No. Okay. I forget. You have those giant Coke bottle glasses. I do not. <laughs> I think my glasses, I think my prescription's getting weaker. Oh, let's my, talk about that. Damn my eyes. Let's talk about it. What is your... Could you read off your prescription? <laughs> all right, keep going with the Charlie's Angels. No, no, that's it. That's all I got. Okay, that was awesome. And you like it, so. Do oh, you when that? I was little, when I was little, mm-hmm. we would play Charlie's Angels all the live long day, and it was my cousin Katie and my friend Joy and I, and I was always Kelly. Now, did you do? Did like you... I was a bitch about being Kelly. I would say I'm not playing unless I can be Kelly. Who plays Kelly? Jacqueline Smith. She, I thought she, she was a dark-haired one. Yeah, I thought, I thought she you, was the most beautiful. Everybody didn't one. want to be Farrah Fawcett. I would think everybody want to be Farrah Fawcett. Well, Farrah Fawcett, we we played it with Kelly, Chris, and Sabrina when we played it. I don't know what that means. Not Kelly, Jill, and Sabrina. You didn't play with Farrah Fawcett. No, because when we started watching it, it when it, when it was our age, yeah. our age, it, it, Farrah Fawcett was too young. Like we were too young to watch it when Farrah was on it. 
Oh, she. We saw reruns of it. Well, Farrah Fawcett left, and it wasn't. But um, See, I just think of Farrah Fawcett. But left I feel like Cheryl Ladd was on it the longest. I feel like not the longest of all of them, but like the longest where people were of the people that changed. Let me ask you this: Did you ever play uh, Extremities with Farrah Fawcett? <laughs> no, you didn't play no, it? we didn't play Beat Off a Rapist. Yeah, spray with, with stuff a, in his eyes with a fireplace poker. Yeah, I remember one summer that was on TV like. All the time, nonstop. Yes, we just kept watching. I don't know why I watched. You kept it watching. Time. Yeah, it was. I don't know why I watched it. I don't. Weird. Yeah, I don't know. You're a weirdo. Yeah, I'm a weird, weird guy. And then Thursday, April first was April Fool's Day. Yeah, that's and true. On April Fool's Day, 1976, the mm-hmm. BBC convinced many listeners that a special alignment of the planets would temporarily decrease gravity on Earth. Ha! Huh. Phone lines were flooded with callers who claimed they felt the effects. Really? Yeah, I could see that. A bunch of idiots. People are fucking idiots. Hey, I, 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 I lifted off the floor about two feet just now. I just wanted to call in and let you know that. My scrotum seems lighter. Yeah. It's not such a burden. What's going on? I feel light in my loafers, but I have for most of my life. My diarrhea doesn't um, bother me as bad. All right. Uh, <laughs> Friday... Friday, April 2nd, 1976, according to Gizmodo, mm-hmm. um, pinball okay. was banned in New York City uh, oh. until 1976. It was considered a gambling device. Uh, gambling? How do you gamble with pinball? It was considered gambling because it was all chance. There was no way to be good at it. That's what they thought. Oh. So until Roger Sharp testified by playing pinball in the courtroom while calling out precisely what he was going to do to shoot for and scoring, showing he that the it's pinball a game of skill and not chance. He's the real the pinball real wizard. wizard. First, let's give you the history here. Pinball machines were considered games of chance, therefore gambling, since 1942. January 21st, 1942, Mayor Fiorella LaGuardia. So wait a minute. Gambling is just a game of chance. It's not it has to do with money necessarily. It's just anything you yeah. It's anything you gamble on. That's a game of chance. Like you play a game of chance, you can gamble because but, there's no but skill. Gam- I thought gambling had to have money involved. Well, you have to put money in the machine to play pinball. Yeah, but so that was gambling. Gambling is when you you're going to win something. Well, not necessarily. You use money and you're playing a game of chance. They think it's just like random whether or not you're going to win or not. Oh, so they consider that gambling. It was right after they like. Yeah, it was around you know times where they were focused on alcohol and yeah. all that stuff. So, um, anyway, Mayor Fiorella LaGuardia officially banned pinball in New York City, and many other American cities soon followed suit. But despite this ban, pinball designers continued to operate. While pinball was officially banned publicly, it was still legal to own machines for private use. Some arcades and bars actually placed pinball machines in dark corners in opposition to the bans. Okay. Which this brings us back to the April morning in 1976 mm-hmm. when, with Mr. Sharp waiting patiently to enter the courtroom. He had been hired by the Music and Amusement Association, yeah. MAA for short, to be their star witness in their pursuit to overturn the ban of, on pinball in New York City. So he went into uh, this courtroom mm-hmm. to prove that it, that it was a game of skill, that yeah. it wasn't just chance. So um, he had two machines to prove his case with one being a backup in the event the first machine broke. He started playing uh, the machine that he had practiced on and he was used to, Mm -hmm. and he was playing the best pinball game of his life, but he was stopped by one particularly grumpy councilman, afraid that the pinballers had tampered with the machine, and he demanded that Mr. Sharp use the backup machine. Oh. Sharp agreed, but this added another degree of difficulty. You see, Mr. Sharp was extremely familiar with the first machine, having practiced on it a whole bunch. 
and so but he was not nearly as experienced on the backup machine okay nonetheless he agreed and began playing on the backup with the band on the verge of not being overturned sharp pulled a move that has become pinball legend okay reminiscent of another new york sporting legend he declared that if he could make the ball go through the middle lane on his next turn then he would have proven that pinball is a game of skill essentially he was calling his shot like babe ruth yeah. You know, the whole, yeah yeah and staking the future of pinball on it pulling back the plunger he let that silver ball fly upon contact with a flipper the ball zoomed up and down through the middle lane just as sharp had said it would and with that proved that there was indeed skill to the game of pinball the council immediately overturned the ban on pinball because of roger sharp playing a mean pinball pretty cool and so then the who made that song probably yep and then pete townsend watched a bunch of child porn yeah apparently <laughs> that's right unfortunately Jeez. now we can't like this we can't like pinball anymore you can't like the who you can't like tommy yep. i was gonna watch the tommy rock right, opera but i feel like you can't because of child porn like every person who I'm, does I'm, anything I'm good. so sad that you're so inconvenienced by child porn. <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah, that, that is. Well, no, I mean, it's terrible for the children, of course, and all the awfulness. But just in general, like, we got to figure out these rules here. Like, is anything made by someone who does something awful immediately gone? Like, if we found out, like, what if we found out Charles Schultz tomorrow murdered a bunch of people? Like, can we still like the Peanuts gang? Oh, I think I think so. I think murder is fine. Oh, but if he raped a bunch of people, we can't. No. Okay. So rape. If anyone rapes, you can't like what they've done. Their yeah, art. I think that's probably what it is. Huh. Okay. But what about this? Our founding fathers raped a bunch of slaves, but we still like our country. Yeah, but the country isn't the founding fathers. Yeah, but they made it. It's what they made. It's their art. Right. No. No, no, honey, you're yeah, getting I don't know. real just, far out now. Not, not to say that I just I just wish I could watch. We're getting real off base here. I wish I could watch Bill Cosby's old movies. I know, it goes, <laughs> always comes back to that, doesn't it? Yeah, man, why, why just don't rape anybody? Like, that's <laughs> a, like, you have everything. You're super rich and never yeah. have to worry about anything. You can make any show you want. You can do whatever you want in your life. Yeah. Just don't rape anybody. Right. That's all you need. Right. And, you, and you can't not do that. I don't get it. I don't get it. Rapists. Anyway, yep. Saturday, April 3rd, 1976, Johnny Tyler takes over the number one spot in the Billboard charts. Do you know who that is? No. Johnny Tyler with the song Disco Lady. Oh, I know that song. You do? Sing it for me. Move it in, move it out, move it in, move it out, Disco Lady. There you go. This was Taylor's first for Columbia Records, where Taylor signed after his longtime label Stax Records went bankrupt. Among the guests on this song were four members of Parliament Funkadelic. Oh. Bassist Bootsy, Bootsy Collins. Keyboardist Bernie Worrell. Guitarist Glenn's Goins, Glenn Goins. And drummer mm. Jerome Braley. Okay. And background vocals by Brandi. All righty. Did you know those all those people? I know some of them. And then Friday, April 9th, 1976, the number four grossing the, the fourth... The top, the fourth top grossing movie came out. Okay. Uh, about it was about the Washington Post reporters Bob Woodward and Carl oh, Bernstein um, uncovering the yeah, Watergate yeah, yeah, scandal yeah. that leads to President Richard Nixon's resignation. Do you know what movie it is? It's not all the president's men. It is. Is all it the all the president's, president's men? men? That's okay. I get that confused with 
What's the one with Jimmy Stewart? I just get the titles confused. Oh, uh, It's a Wonderful Life? No, there's one with Jimmy Stewart, <laughs> it's a wonderful and, life. and it's a political one, oh, too. Oh, yeah, there is one. And I can't remember the name of it. Oh, you can't take it with you? No. He was in that. He was, that's true. Um, here's some things with this. Like, Do you know who stars? Do you remember who stars in this? As yeah, Bob Justin Hoffman and Robert Redford. Yes, right. Um, uh, and Frank Wills, the security guard who discovered the break-in at the Watergate complex, played yeah. him, played himself. Oh, he movie. did? Yeah. That's pretty sweet. Yeah, listen to this. Nothing was allowed into the script of this movie unless it had been meticulously verified and confirmed by independent sources. Wow. So it's probably a pretty accurate yeah. movie. Um, Robert, yeah, Ro Robert Redford felt that casting him as Bob Woodward, uh, he w was unnecessarily unbalancing the film, so the obvious answer for him was to cast a star of equal weight. For that reason, he approached Dustin Hoffman at a Knicks game and offered him the role of Carl Bernstein. Oh, wow. That's according to IMDb. That's pretty sweet. Um, It'd be yeah. nice to be a fly on the wall during that whole exchange. Uh, hey, Dustin. Yeah, 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 definitely, definitely an excellent driver. Yeah, definitely next game. Definitely. No, an wait a minute. That's the, that's not. That's just a character, honey. <laughs> so that's, that's my impression of Dustin Hoffman. <laughs> no, he's playing himself in Rain Man. I don't think he might have been. Anyway, um, I don't know. If, do you think Bob Woodward is a, was as attractive as Robert Redford no. when he was young? No. So Bob Woodward's like. He probably thought that. Oh, yeah. They got I know Robert, Robert Redford. Redford played me, I mean, so. that's like the that was the go-to. Yeah, so he was probably like, the go-to like reference me. for ultimate handsome man yeah. back then. So Bob Woodward was probably like, man, I'm fucking hot. Yeah, he probably did. Bob and then Redford played me, man. I'm the hottest dude. Bernstein alive. was probably like, oh, no, I'm Dustin Hoffman. Oh, jeez, <laughs> tells a lot about me. Yeah, I'm four foot tall and definitely an excellent driver. Hot waterbird baby. And then Sunday, April 11, 1976, the Apple. Computer One okay. is a desktop computer that was released by the Apple Computer Company. Really? Yeah. In 1976. I didn't know that. It was designed and hand-built by Steve Wozniak. I knew that. Wozniak's friend Steve Jobs had the idea of selling the computer. Yeah. The Apple One was their first product, and to finance its creation, Jobs sold his only motorized means of transportation, a VW microbus. Okay. For a few hundred bucks. And Steve sold his HP 65 calculator. <laughs> nerd. Oh, my God. Yeah. Nerd. Total nerd. He sold it for 500 bucks. Yeah. However. Got a calculator for 500 bucks in 1976? What kind of fucking calculator was it? An HP 65. Like what? That must have been a big deal. Big shit. You know, it was like probably a graphing calculator in the 70s. That's. $500 calculator. That's crazy. Think about that. Yeah, but they didn't have computers. So that would that was a computer. A calculator? That was what was a that was like the highest tech you had, right? I don't know. I I well, I feel like calculators were around before that, but maybe not. I know adding no. I feel like adding machines were around. Well, of course calculators were around, but this is like a high tech calculator. It's probably like the next step below a computer if it's oh. 500 bucks. Anyway. Yeah. Anyway. Uh this computer was demonstrated in a July 1970 in July 1976 at the Homebrew Computer Club in Palo Alto, California that those guys were both members of. Okay. There, there were several very high-profile hackers and computer entrepreneurs that are part of that club, okay. including the founders of Apple. The open exchange of ideas that went on at the bi-weekly meetings in the club newsletter helped launch the personal computer revolution. Oh, yeah. The Homebrew Computer Club has been called the crucible for an entire industry. 
And there's one more third co-founder of Apple. Have you heard of this guy, Ronald Wayne? No. Along with Steve Wozniak and Steve Jobs, in 1976, he sold 10, his 10% share of the company. Oh, my he God. He sold it for 800 bucks. Oh, my God. Today's 10% would be worth $35 billion. Oh, my God. <laughs> that guy's an idiot. Oh, I, that's awful. Yeah, poor Ronald Wayne. That sucks. Yeah. Oh, well, that guy, he must have killed himself by now. No, he's sucking dick uh, behind an Arby's. Oh, my for God. Yeah. No, I don't know. Maybe he did kill him. I don't know what Ronald Wayne's doing. He probably, How could you not kill yourself? I think he, I wonder if he became a hacker. I think he was one of the guys that became a hacker, maybe. Like, why, know. how could you not kill yourself? Well, if you can suck a mean dick behind an Arby's. All right. I don't know. Anyway, you know how much that first computer sold for? No. Do you want to guess? Probably ten thousand dollars or something. It's, it's more than a Super Bowl ad at, at this point. Oh wow! It's like a hundred thousand, hundred fifty thousand. Oh wait, no, I'm sorry. Wait, it's way. <laughs> no, sorry. It's I, there's a decimal there. It's way less than a Super Bowl ad. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> sorry. Jeez. I thought that was a common. Ten thousand. Nope. Six hundred and sixty-six dollars and sixty-six cents. That wasn't very climactic. No, it was stupid. But it's six six six, so they're devil worshippers. Oh, so anybody that's who that's the seventies, yeah. So anybody seventies was about devil worship. Anybody who goes to church and, and is found by the Lord, and you have an Apple product, you better get rid of it. Yeah, I guess so. Because you're going to hell. So there you go. Mm-hmm. Tuesday, April thirteenth, just a few days later, mm-hmm. um, that two dollar bill was changed. What? <laughs> the face of the two dollar bill hasn't been changed since this date. Okay. And the the two dollar bill, I don't know if you know about this, has no security features because the two dollar bill is counterfeited too infrequently to warrant a change. Really? Yeah. Then so that's the next. That would be the answer for somebody who is wanting to counterfeit money is just to use two dollar bills because it'd be easier to do. Oh shit! Yeah, and I've just told everyone. Yeah. Damn. Now it's gonna be out there. Now I, it's now it's out there. In current day, two dollar bills, like, didn't they stop doing them now, or can you still use them? I don't think they make them anymore, but I think you, you can, can still, still use, them. use them. I actually looked up something that said... Didn't you, didn't your brother have a whole shitload of $2 bills? My dad always collected them. My dad loved $2 bills. He always had like booklets I just of remember them. he paid for like something... He paid Henry or Audrey for Girl Scout cookies or yeah, something, and he, he prob- paid her with $2 bills. Those were my dad's. <laughs> probably left over my dad's $2 like bills. $10 and $2 bills. Well, we, we just got more things from <clears throat> my dad's last belongings and there was another box of two dollar bills did you split it with each other we gave it to my brother beef oh yeah we figured he could use it the most but uh yeah was it a lot i think it was like a hundred bucks oh two dollar bills yeah um but i was gonna say oh i looked up and two dollar bills are really technically because they're so rare Mm -hmm. they're worth a little bit more than two dollars yeah they're really worth like Two seventy-five or something. Like really? Almost three bucks each one. So, so if you collect them, and maybe way in the future. Uh, yeah. But uh, anyway, two dollar bills. Yep. Let's start counterfeiting them. Saturday, April twenty-fourth, nineteen seventy-six. Yeah. Saturday Night Live producer Lorne Michaels mm-hmm. makes an on-air offer to pay the Beatles three thousand dollars to reunite on the show. Oh wow! And get this. John Lennon and Paul McCartney happened to be watching the show together in New York City. Huh. And they considered walking down to the studio to accept the check. Oh, funny. But they didn't. They decided not to. Instead, let's just do a bunch of coke. And then yeah. 
Uh, Lauren Michaels would raise his offer to $3,200 on SNL's May 22nd episode. And I don't think they never did it. Yeah. It was worth a try. Yeah. Hell, why not? How mm-hmm. cool. What, a, what an event that would have been. Yeah. We'll be talking about that. And then Saturday, May 1st, 1976, the Bellamy Brothers take over the number one spot on the Billboard Hot 100. With? Let Your Love Flow. Let Your Love Flow. Like a hot stream, I'll let your love go. Yeah. You know, the guy who composed that song mm-hmm. was uh, a roadie for Neil Diamond. Oh, really? Larry Williams. Yep. He's, and God, all the great hits from Larry Williams we have yeah, around Larry through the Williams. years. He probably wrote a bunch more. You know? All Maybe. The, all the roadies are writing songs. Yeah. That same day? Yep. There was a novel. The first printing of, of a novel called Bear was released okay. in Toronto. Okay? Mm-hmm. Bear is a novel about a lonely librarian in northern Ontario who enters into a sexual relationship with a bear. Ew. <laughs> what? Yeah. It won the Canadian Governor General's Literacy Award. And people liked it? This novel was written in a busy and tumultuous period in the author Marion Engel's life. <laughs> I guess so. She had started a writer's union from her home, and she was raising twins while undergoing a painful divorce. And she took regular psychotherapy sessions and worried about her mental health. So she wrote a book about a woman having sex with a bear? She wrote a book about fucking a bear. <laughs> why is this? Why are we talking about this right now? Because it happened in, in 76. And it, it was, it was, it was, well, it was a well-known. Well she started writing the novel to contribute to a WC, that's the, the union she wrote, she put together, mm-hmm. a collection of pornographic fiction by serious writers. Ew, it's like, so it's like pornographic? Yes. it's She's fucking a bear. Oh. The book was rejected. <laughs> she's fucking a bear. I just can't believe there's a book about she's Ew. fucking a bear. Uh, the book was rejected when first sent to publishers. An editor with Harcourt Brace wrote in a rejection letter, it's, its relative brevity, coupled with its extreme strangeness, presents, I'm afraid, an insuperable obstacle in present circumstances. Yeah, I guess so. Really, just if, she, if she didn't fuck the bear, yeah. maybe, maybe it would be better. Can she befriend the bear? Is that too much to ask? No, she just wants to fuck it. Oh, come on. That's... I, yeah. You know, my favorite piece of graffiti still to this day that I've ever seen was uh, in college. And there was a stall, a bathroom stall. It was a it was a great bathroom to poop in if you had to mm-hmm. poop. It okay. Was well, it was not well known. Not, mm-hmm. Nobody knew this was bathroom was there so it's always pretty clean and not usable but on the, on the stall wall it said i still i can't remember the guy's names but it was like jim something fucks dead bears and <laughs> you like, just love that like, who decided to write that somebody fucks dead bears <laughs> it's like my second favorite is one that says rick ryer is a son of a bitch yeah i like that <laughs> i saw that rick ryer is a son of a bitch in a gas station in somewhere in ohio yeah, Rick Ryer is a son of a bitch. It's a weird one to be in a men's bathroom, un- un- or were you peeping in the women's bathroom? Rick Ryer is a son of a bitch? Yeah, like why would a, a guy write that about another guy? Well, that might have been a unisex bathroom now that I think about it. It was a real oh, shitty, shitty okay. place. It was a gross bathroom. But Rick, that Rick Ryer. That Rick Ryer, he is a son of like, a bitch. You've got to be pretty pissed at somebody to actually scratch. That was like scratch with the keys. And that's like a 10 minute, that's yeah. a good 10 minutes of scratching. Yeah, it's right. Rick Ryer is a son of a bitch. That's a lot of letters. It is like, a lot to, of letters. You have to really fucking hate Rick Ryer. Yeah, you do. You go to that bathroom while you're pooping and just like, God, fuck Rick Ryer. God yeah. damn, fuck that guy. <laughs> you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to tell everybody Rick Ryer is a son of a bitch. bitch. Oh, man. 
Anyway, maybe it was a guy that worked there and he just worked on it. Like, maybe it's his day. coworker. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> he's like, I'll show him. Yeah, and maybe he just worked on it every time he pooped. He's just like, and then the co- he'll come in here and he'll be pissed off. <laughs> yeah. And then the guy, the guy comes in, you know, he's like, hey, hey, hey why are you son of a bitch? Put that there. I, I kind of want to find Rick Ryer and just let him know that somebody yeah, thinks somebody he's thinks a son, he's of, a son of a bitch. That's pretty do a good. Quick Facebook search. Rick Ryer, if you're a listener, and your name is Rick Ryer, R E I. And you went to Bowling Green. No, State this was University. in this was in uh, Kentucky or like Southern Ohio. It was in some oh. gas station, but it wasn't long. It was like when we went to Abner's wedding. Oh, okay. And I took pictures of all the. Bathrooms. So it's in yeah okay. Yeah. Anyway. You took pictures of all the bathrooms. Yeah, I took a bunch of bathroom you pictures. Chuck Berry. I, no, it was like a. It wasn't with people in the bathroom. It was just of the. It was like a thing to do on a road trip we stopped at a bunch Took of bathrooms. pictures of the bathroom yeah. it's kind of weird honey well i well it started with the rick ryers the son of a bitch i had to take a picture of that and i thought well and then, and then the next bathroom i went to there was a toilet just filled with um five hour energy bottles ew like, it was just filled with you them. took a picture of that yeah so i took a picture why I was like, what the fuck is this i don't know what are you going to do with that picture i don't know i don't have it anymore i was making a I was making a video. I don't know what you were doing. I was making a video or a picture collage for, for, Abner, for Abner's wedding. wedding. Yeah. <laughs> so you're taking those kind of pictures. Well, I got married. <laughs> I mean, we're on the way to his wedding. He's what looking at it. Doing? They're getting all teared up, and then Rick Ryers, the son of a bitch, comes across the yeah, screen. And then it was for his toilet wedding. Filled was his, with energy part of, he didn't have a photographer for his wedding, so he wanted me to take pictures on the well, way. Well, he picked the right person. He sure did. That job was safe in your hands. Well, it was like when we went to Jim Jaco's wedding. We drove down, and we didn't have a present, so we just stopped at every gas station to get presents for him and one mm-hmm. just happened to be a homemade porn dvd yes that like, i accidentally dropped in the aisle as the bride was walking down yes yes <laughs> that's not a lie it's not a lie that is a true thing that happened yep yep whoops that was an accident never invite me to your wedding no saturday may 8th 1976 john sebastian takes over the number one spot in the billboard charts you remember john sebastian no you know who he is no i don't that's the thing about the 70s a lot of the artists i don't i don't recognize their name john, at all. john i just sebastian know the songs was, he was the former loving spoonful front okay. man you know the loving yeah. spoonful yeah you i do? know i know of them I, could, I don't know if i could name a specific song of theirs but i know of well, them well this song um was written and recorded by former Lovin' Spoonfall frontman John Sebastian. It reached number one on the Billboard Hot 100 chart for one week. Okay. And, uh, uh, okay. TV producer Alan Sachs wanted a Lovin' Spoonfall-like theme song for a new ABC sitcom entitled Cotter. Oh. Initially, Sebastian had considerable difficulty with the lyrics since including the title character's name ah. since including the title character's name didn't lend itself to a sufficient number of obvious rhymes. Welcome back. Instead, he decided to focus the lyrics on the idea of the series premise of Cotter yep. returning to the place he grew up and having dreamt of leaving to do something positive. All the names have all changed since you've come around. But the dreams that have remained and they turned around. Who'd have thought they'd need you? Who'd have thought they'd need you? Back there where they made you. Back there where we need you. Well, we tease them a lot, but we got them on the spot. Welcome back. Welcome back, welcome back, welcome back. Well, the producers liked the resulting song so much that they changed the name of the series to Welcome Back, Cotter. Oh, wow. It was just called Cotter. Yeah. How about that for a little knowledge for I all love you? that song. That's a great song. Yeah, it is. Now, when I first played it, I was like, that was the number one song. It's a TV theme song. But 
Then when you really but I kind of laughed, and there's in the you look on YouTube, you look this up, and there's there he is, John Sebastian singing it with a guitar. He's yeah, a nice, friendly looking guy with glasses and a guitar. It's just that's the whole video. And there's a whole other verse that you never hear. Yeah, right. Kind of like I'm Golden sure. Girl when you hear yeah. the other Golden Girls, the whole Golden Girl song. It's great, and the whole song's great. It really yeah. is. Uh, so. Welcome back, Cotter. Plus, yes. Mr. Cotter. Plus, Welcome Back Cotter was an awesome yes, show. Freddie Boom Boom oh, Washington. Oh, it was so much a fun yeah, show. It was great. I mean, just the character. I was in love hogs. with Vinny Barbarino. Yeah. <laughs> Remember when He's he so did Bob, 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 Barino? And he was like dressed like Elvis. Some plum smugglers. And I know. I very vaguely remember that. I, I remember, Ep I think Epstein was my favorite. I got a note. Up your nose with a rubber hose. That's <laughs> yeah, great. Ooh, 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 ooh. There's so Mr. many things. Kido. So many favorite. things. Yeah, that was a great show. Um, Rob Shields was a guy. I feel like my classroom is kind of like <laughs> that show. He, I think he was a special <laughs> was ed teacher oh, when yeah. you think about it. Yeah, he like, was, yeah. Now if you look at it. Mm-hmm. I think he really was in the special. Had, that was the resource the room. That were having troubles in school. We're going to drop definitely out. the resource room. Uh, in the uh, uh, Rob Shields, who's now a mailman. Mm -hmm. um, I don't think he's a listener of the show. Which you think a mailman would listen to podcasts? Maybe he doesn't like ours. But he had a welcome back out of lunchbox. Sweet. Kids. Yeah, it was awesome. Oh, if he still has it. And that was the eighty. You know, that was like well, it was way well after. after. It was probably his brothers. One of his brothers. His, brothers. Yeah, his brothers were a lot older than him. So yeah, but, but it was still cool. It's like, what's Welcome Back Cotter? You know, we didn't even know then. Oh, you didn't? I, I don't, it was on, like... It came on But reruns. you were four years. That's right. You're four years younger, so... So when this came on, I was zero. Yeah. Um, but then it it was on for a few years. But when it came yeah. back, it came back on to syndication or whatever. And then I and then it was on, like, it. after yeah. school. Yeah, it was on after school or something. Yeah. When I got into it. Yeah. Because yep. I think when I was in third grade, I didn't know what it was, maybe. Oh, okay. Maybe I did. I don't know. I remember being not too familiar with it then, but I love it now. Freddie Boomer, Washington. Yep. Saturday, May 15th, 1976, the Silvers take over the number one spot on okay. the Billboard charts. You know this song? What is it? Boogie Fever. Boogie Fever. I got to boogie down. Da -dum, da -dum, da -dum, da -dum. Do you remember what the song's about? Boogie and down. Boogie the, Fever. The narrator of the song notes a change that seems to have come over his girlfriend. Mm -hmm. At the drive-in movie, she turns down the speaker volume and turns up the radio to hear her favorite disco songs. And says she has boogie fever. She boogies to the beat while eating her meal at a pizza parlor. He concludes that his girl must have caught... Boogie Fever. The clap. Oh, yeah, the boogie fever. Yeah. Which seems to be going around. So is that supposed to be the clap? What? No, boogie fever. She's dance. She wants to dance. Oh, okay, dancing. Yeah. Uh, but then he, in the final verse, he consults a doctor and realizes that he himself it's has caught boogie the boogie fever. fever. Well, I didn't realize the song went into this As a result of dancing all night long, doing the bump, bump, bump with his girlfriend. I didn't realize Remember this, that part? the verses went like that, no. Apparently, they did. Yeah. And that's that's it. That was from May 15th to May 21st. That was number all right. one. And then on Saturday, May 22nd, mm -hmm. Wings. Your oh, favorite, your favorite boy. band, Wings, takes over. Yeah. You remember what song? No. Silly love songs. It's another little silly love song. I love Drew. Are you? Yeah. Written by Paul McCartney mm -hmm. and Linda McCartney, and performed by Wings. Yes, Wings is not my favorite. It's not. No, it's not my favorite. Well, this song was written in response to music critics accusing McCartney of predominantly writing silly love songs and sentimental slush. 
So then he also features stuck it to the man. So he's like, you know what? Fuck you. Listen to this. Yep. Because I don't give a shit. I was in the Beatles. I can do whatever I want now. I can put out garbage. And it doesn't matter. For the rest of my That's life. Right. And people will still spend $1,000 to see me in concert. That's right. Damn it. Sunday, May 23rd, 1976, Elizabeth Ray claimed that her only duty for her $14,000 a year job was to have sex with Congressman Wayne Hayes. Whoa. Boom. The Washington Post broke the story quoting Elizabeth Ray. Hayes' former secretary, secretary, saying that Hayes hired her on his staff and later gave her a raise as staff to the House Administration Committee for two years to serve as his mistress. Wow. She said, I can't type, I can't file, I can't even answer the phone. She can't answer the phone? <laughs> nope, she swallows it. She, she gets it stuck <laughs> in her mouth every time. She just like starts like sucking on it. <laughs> she oh, can't do it. man. She even let uh, a reporter listen in as the Ohio Congressman and She tried to her. answer the phone <laughs> and accidentally swallowed it. And I told her on the phone that his recent marriage to another former secretary would not affect their arrangement. Okay. Hayes had just divorced his wife of 38 years just months prior and married his veteran Ohio office secretary, Patricia Patricia Peake, five weeks before the scandal broke. So he had the mistress during all of that going on? Like where he got divorced and remarried? Yeah, he got remarried to his other secretary. But in but the meantime, still... he started, while he was getting ready to get marry his secretary, he's probably cheating on his wife with. Yeah, he still he had started, that mistress? No, he, then he started sleeping with it. He hired another mistress. Because he was like, well, if I'm going to marry this mistress, then I need another mistress. You know, he, so he hired Jeez. a mistress just for to bang. Um, and and here's the funny thing is uh, Liz, uh, who finally who told the story to the paper, mm -hmm. she only told the paper uh, because she was upset that she wasn't invited to the wedding. Oh, my God. Because <laughs> I was good enough to be his mistress for two years, but not good enough to be invited to his wedding. Jeez. Jeez. Um, Hey, hell, ha hell hath no fury. Huh? So Hayes finally admitted to everything, but he never admitted to hiring her just for sex. But uh, he did ad ad admit to the affair, and he resigned as chairman of the Committee on House Administration on June 18th, and then he resigned from Congress on September 1st, 1976. Good riddance. Yeah, how about that? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, guy would fit right in with everything now. Yeah, he would. Everything going on. And then Saturday, May 22nd, 1976, Diana Ross takes over the number one spot on the Hot 100. With Love Hangover. It is Love Hangover. Is Do you have a Love Hangover right now? I don't need no cure. I don't need no cure. Sweet love to doctor. It's not a real catchy I song. I don't remember this one. This was featured in a 1977 Diane Keaton film called Looking for Mr. Goodbar. Okay. Remember that? I've heard of it. Diana Ross also sang this song on that on the on an episode of the Muppet Show. She sang Love Hangover on an episode <laughs> of the Muppet Show? Yeah. It's an odd choice. Yeah. Um Oh, that's a dumb thing. And then I think she's moaning and stuff in that song too, a little bit. Well, Muppets make you moan. The song was featured in CBC's annual year end playoff montage on Hockey Night in Canada in two thousand nine. Okay. And the song is featured in promos for the final season of Mad Men. All righty. That's all I got about that song. Do you have anything you want to talk about? Nope. Sunday, June 6th, yeah. 1976, Frontier Airlines hired the U.S.'s first female pilot captain. Okay. Do you know her? No. You don't know who it is, Miss Feminist? You don't know who feminist. the first? You're always, I'm a feminist. I'm a feminist. Me too. No. Hashtag me too, bitches. And you don't even all know right. who the U.S.'s who first female Emily Howell Warner. Okay. 
Yes. And is there anything yeah. interesting? Well, I don't know if this is interesting or not, but she um, she decided. But you're going to say it anyway. She decided on a career in piloting after her first trip on an airplane, where she was allowed to sit in the cockpit of a plane flying her home after a trip to Denver. Okay. She said the pilot could see how excited I was and encouraged me to take flying lessons. And I said, can girls do that? She started flying in 1958 after getting the approval of her parents for lessons. The lessons cost $13 per week. Which is probably time. a lot. Yeah, for 1958. Mm-hmm. And she had a $38 a week paycheck. Oh. $38 a week. Yep. <laughs> anyway, so sometimes she worked 14 hours a day with a morning flight, a full-time office job, and an evening flight. And she got her pilot's license license, and a job as a flying traffic reporter within a year. Anyway, she is in multiple halls of fame, including the National Aviation Hall of Fame and the National Women's Hall of Fame. Oh, well, that's good. Good for her. Yeah, good for her. She's great. Yep. Yep. Boom. Women are better than men. Women can do it. Women can do anything. That's right. I think women should be in charge of everything for a while. Well, we needed something. Everything. Something has to give. Something's got to change. So that's a good start. Something's got to give. Men have screwed it up enough. I just think women, I don't know, they're just like, get it. They're not so violent or something. Aggressive. They're just like, everything would be soft. I don't think women, and this might be a generalization, yeah. I don't think women can be as easily bought as men can. Yeah, I feel like, too, they have better morals or something. Yeah, like you right. Don't, you don't hear about corrupt women ever. Very much, yeah. I mean, once in a while. But it's rare. And Coulter or something. But Yeah. And most women smell so much better. That's true, too. Not all of them. <laughs> Not all of them. That's true, too. Yeah. We don't need to start naming names, though. No, no we don't need to. I was talking about our daughter. She just farted earlier and was like, oh, all right. You fart? You now know. you ruined it. I just ruined it. No, all other women except my daughter <laughs> can do anything. No, she's pretty badass. She's probably going to be something big. Yep. And fart the whole time. June 26th, yeah. Omen. The movie Omen came The out. Omen, honey. Oh, The Not Omen. I don't know. I've never heard of this movie, and you made me put it in here. So I'm putting it in The here. Omen, yeah. It wasn't one of the top ten movies that year. It no. It wasn't. No, but it was... Uh, you have a story about this. A little me, bit. Right? Just a little bit, yeah. Right. It was. Uh, Give it to me. Drop it on me, baby. Drop it. It was... Drop uh, it like it's hot. This, a story about the birth of the Antichrist. Oh, it was? Yeah. The Omen is the it's is the birth of the Antichrist. Oh, I don't know if And I, it's a uh, little boy, and he's like the devil. He's the devil. This is starring Don Knotts? It's... Oh, God. I, can't, I didn't write down who it stars. Wait, I, did, I wrote down some of them. Okay, All you right. did. So the story of the Omen special effects consultant, John Richardson, is the most uncanny and spooky cursed movie event in history. Okay, it's about the special, event, special effects, effects consultant. consultant. Okay. Richardson created the Omen's iconic death scenes. Among the most remembered is the bloody beheading of photographer Keith Jennings. Oh. Anyone who's seen the Omen remembers Jennings' head being separated from his body by a plate glass and bouncing through the air. Oh, God. A few months after the release of the Omen... Richardson was in Holland working on A Bridge Too Far. Just after midnight on Sunday the 13th of June 1976, Richardson and his assistant Liz Moore were involved in a deadly car accident. 
The head-on collision killed Moore, who was cut in half by the other vehicle's wheel, mirroring the on-screen death of the photographer from The Omen. It really happened? Yes. Uh, not in the movie. This isn't a movie. No, this is this really, really happened. This, uh, the guy who and it made that just the event. way he made that. Yeah. Ugh. That's weird and tragic, but it gets even weirder. Richardson, dazed from the collision, opened his eyes on the lonely road, and the first thing he saw when a kilometer mark was a kilometer marker reading Omen 666. Wait, Richardson... Just had his head cut off. No, it was the the girl with him. Oh, she had her head cut yeah. off. Yeah. Oh. Well, she was cut in half. Oh God. Yeah. So he he opens his eyes and he sees a sign. Yeah. That reads Omen six six six. Oh God. The closest town to the accident was Omen, Netherlands, and the accident happened at kilometer sixty six point six. Oh my word. Richardson's crash was the culmination of the Omen curse, but weird occurrences around the film date back to its very inception. What else? What else? Give me it. The Omen was conceived by Robert Munger, who had no film background, but who was suddenly struck with the idea of making a movie about the Antichrist as a child. Hmm, I'm Robert Munger, and I'm going to make a movie about the Antichrist as a child. I don't know anything about movies. But I know a lot about the Antichrist. But I love the Antichrist. Producer Harvey Bernhard and Mace Newfield foolishly ignored the... Mace Newfield? Yeah. <laughs> Mace Newfield. Who foolishly ignored the potential for satanic hoodoo attacks, saw dollar signs in Munger's idea, and started putting together a slick but schlocky horror film well, let's, designed let, to take advantage of the vogue for devilish films that began with Rosemary's oh, Baby. Right, right. Mace Newfield's on to something because devil movies, I mean, this was the shit. Yeah, the 70s. The everything 70s. was the devil. The Exorcist, Rosemary's Baby, yeah, the everything Omen. Everything was. That's all anybody did was the devil and hippies and whatever else. So Munger, who was a devout Christian, raised the first alarm during pre-production. He called a meeting with Barhart and offered the following warning. The devil's greatest single weapon is to be invisible and you're going to take off his cloak of invisibility to millions of people. With production plans for the Omen coming together in spite of the prophecies of its creator, the producers scored big by landing Gregory Peck to star as Ambassador Thorne. All I'm saying is, and we got Gregory Peck, I'm just warning you, maybe we should stop playing the Ouija board all the time. Like the Ouija yep. board, we're, we're burning crosses, we're putting nipple, like hot wax on our nipples. Yep. Just maybe we should stop some of this. Well, Gregory Peck, um, after he agreed to appear in the movie, his son shot himself in the head, leaving what? no note. Holy shit. Although racked with grief, Peck didn't let the suicide deter him from starring in The Omen. He flew to England in October 1975 to start work on the movie. Suicide schmuicide. But he almost didn't make it across the ocean. Oh, no. Turbulence? In the middle of the stormy, turbulent crossing of the Atlantic, Peck's oh. plane was struck by lightning. Holy fuck. I don't like turbulence, man. According to Mace Newfield, the engine caught fire... And the plane nearly crashed into the sea. And Mace Newfield does not fuck around. Then, a few days later, lightning struck Newfield's plane oh. as he crossed the Atlantic, too. Oh, shit. Two Mace planes, Newfield. two lightning strikes. That doesn't happen very often, does it? No. Those aren't Yikes. the only weird plane stories from the Omen's production, either. One of the first shots planned for the movie was an aerial shot of London to be taken from a rented plane. At the last minute, the plane rental company switched aircrafts and gave the original plane to a group of Japanese businessmen. Apparently, no one informed Satan of this change of plans, and he targeted the plane full of innocent businessmen, oh, slamming Japanese. it into the ground and instantly killing them all. Oh, those poor Japanese businessmen. They could have been doing something great. I know it. So, those poor fellas. among the most memorable set pieces in The Omen is Gregory Peck being attacked by a pack of brutal Rottweilers. Hmm, to goodness. shoot the scene, the highly trained devil dogs were supposed to attack a heavily padded stuntman. But something went very wrong, and the fake oh. attack turned real. Yeah, because Gregory Peck accidentally wore the fake guy's clothes no the pack of snarling hellhounds nearly killed the stuntman biting through his padding and refusing to stop even when their trainer ordered them to oh, the stuntman snap. survived but a local zookeeper wasn't so fortunate 
Oh, a local zookeeper died? Sidney Bomford, an, a London animal expert, was working as a big cat wrangler for the production when he met his violent end. Oh, shit. The film was originally to include a scene where zoo tigers menaced Damien and Bamford, with, and Bamford was helping to wrangle the animals. Around the time of the filming, Bamford apparently neglected to properly secure one of the tigers, and the beast went full Siegfried and Roy on the unlucky zookeeper. Siegfried and Roy, who died yo. at its tooth and claw. I happen to know somebody who worked at Siegfried and Roy for years. Uh, you do? Yeah, I work with him, and he has endless Siegfried and Roy stories. Oh, my God. I, I would just, love those. Yeah, he's got stories for days about everything. He's yeah. the same guy who who uh, grew up with Jack Sue from Barney Miller oh, and okay. Red Fox yeah. playing cards. Like, yeah. This guy's got stories for Wow. Yeah. So um, during... Um, Sorry. Siegfried and Roy. You just said Siegfried and Roy. Hi, I'm Siegfried. Okay. I'm Roy. So having oh. failed to kill the Omen producer Mace Newfield with a lightning strike to his airplane at the start of production, You're not going to kill Mace Newfield. Satan anything. started throwing bombs at the Hollywood legend. During the filming of the Omen, Newfield was staying at the Hilton Hotel in London, but then it blew up. It, the hotel blew yeah. up? Yeah. Holy shit. Just stop making the movie. Newfield uh, escaped death but he because he, he wasn't in the building at the time. But days later, Newfield, Bernhard, and other film executives were en route to a trendy London restaurant, and that blew up too. The restaurant blew up? Yeah. This is, come on. Is Again, this, did Newfield you look at this on missed Snopes? the explosion by minutes. This can't be right. While some have interpreted these two bombings as satanic attempts on Newfield's life, skeptics point out that the IRA was bombing a lot of things in London at the time. Okay. So while unfortunate, narrowly missing a couple explosions wasn't exactly out of the ordinary. Mm, um, yeah, I don't know. So then that was pretty much it. The devil seems to have squashed whatever beef he had. Did Satan stopped after that? Then, yeah. He probably liked the movie. He's like, hey, you know, this movie's coming along. I'll just was, I'll let you guys finish it. Newfield went on to produce the Omen sequels, among many other movies. He's currently alive and well and producing Equalizer 2. Mace Newfield is? Yes. Oh, I was hoping there would be an Equalizer 2. Yep, sure is. Did you ever see Equalizer 1? I saw the show. I used to love the show. I didn't know there was a movie based on the Equalizer. I didn't either. Who was in the show? I can't remember that guy's name. It was an old white man. Bob Carradine? Nope. Anyway. Anyway, well, that was pretty interesting. That was fucked up. I kind of, you know what? I kind of want to see the movie now. I think, yeah. I feel like for marketing, they could just save their money and just tell those stories. Yeah, I know. Like, hey, this movie was, Satan was trying to stop I wish, it. I should have done that to The Exorcist, too, because there's a bunch of creepy things with The Exorcist, too. Well, you missed your opportunity, and, and our and podcast like is now a failure I know. because of that. I know. I can't believe I did that. Well, we'll never make it anywhere, and we'll have to just stop the podcast. All right. What's next? Thursday, July 1st, 1976. Oh, that's me again. It's you. Keep on going, baby. You were doing your on a roll, so keep on going. All right. So. This is the same day that the premiere of the film... This was a premiere of the the second highest grossing film was on July first. Oh, was it? And this is weird because the seven I don't know seventies was weird. The second gross highest grossing movie was a uh, a film for the theater of the National Air and Space Museum. Oh, that's right. Smithsonian Smithsonian Institution. Uh, it's a brief summary of the history of flight from the nineteenth century balloons through twenty first century space probes, while simultaneously showing off the new IMAX film medium. The evolution of flying technology is portrayed in parallel with the story of the westward exploration of America and the rural to cosmopolitan transformation of American society. Yeah, it looks pretty damn boring. It just looked like a like a movie. Like stock footage of people yes, at the airport. Something you'd see at a museum, and it does. It's shown in the Smithsonian's Institution, Smithsonian Institution's National Air and Space Museum when it first opened mm -hmm. uh, and for many years after. But it looks like it was just like 
trying to use the IMAX technology. It was like, oh. Here's what so I think it was so popular because, oh, check out IMAX. IMAX. It's so big and crazy. Yeah. So, so it was just called To Fly. Oh, right. And it came out that day. That's bizarre. Yeah. What do you have about that day? Okay. I have to go back. Oh, well, here we go. A little bit for this one. Mm-hmm. So... Anna Elizabeth Michelle was born on September 21st, 1952, the first of four daughters for jo- Joseph and Anna. Her last name was Michelle? M I C H E L. Okay. The Michelles were a deeply religious family with three aunt nuns and Joseph himself having considered the priesthood. Okay. Before Annalise, though, the couple had been disgraced when Anna had given birth to an illegitimate daughter named Martha causing her to have to wear black veil on her wedding day. Oh, you, so when what? That's our th- you really have to do that? Yeah. Well, they were oh. so religious. Yeah, yeah, that's terrible. So when their first daughter together was born, Anna encouraged Annalise to atone for her mother's sins through devotion to God. Hmm. This push likely increased after Martha died after surgery in 1956. Over time, Annalise grew into a kind and obedient young woman who regularly showed her devotion. For instance... In penance for the sins of homeless drug addicts and other wayward souls, teenage Annalise regularly slept on their home's bare stone floor. You know what? Good for her. However, in 1968, when she was only 16 years old, sorry, the young German Catholic girl suffered convulsions that were identified as an epileptic attack related to temporal lobe epilepsy. Oh, that sucks. Is it from sleeping on the floor? No. <laughs> After receiving a certain medication in 1970, she complained of seeing the faces of frozen or ghostly demonic beings. Oh, red M&Ms. <clears throat> in 1973, Annalise Michelle graduated from high school and left for college at West Germany's University of, Lutzen- of Würzburg. Of Würzburg. Würzburg. Würzburg, Wienisch, Hoping to pursue teaching as a career. Mm. As a student, her peers saw Michelle as overly religious and tended to stay in her dorm room with her pictures of saints and pray to the rosary. Well, you know. Like you do. Yeah, some people do that. But each his own. The young student you was... You want to do a bunch of coke and uh, go out in the town and play some, do our disco parties and whatever else? That's right. And go behind an Arby's and do whatever happens back there? But the young student was hiding her suffering. Oh. While others saw Michelle as withdrawn, she was in fact suffering from increasingly intense hallucinations of devils telling oh. her that she would rot in hell. Oh, poor Especially thing. while praying. At the same time, Michelle began to smell fire and excrement and experience upper limb paralysis. Oh, gosh. When combined with her growing disassociation with treatment, this led to bouts of depression and self-destructive behavior. Poor thing. Around this time, Annalise took a pilgrimage trip with a friend who noticed that she was unable to walk past a crucifix. Oh, she just couldn't do it. Couldn't Maybe do it. the omen rubbed off on her, this real Maybe. omen curse. Shortly after the connection had been made, she and her parents were entirely convinced of Annalise's possession. Oh, boy, she's really possessed. She's Although a real person. she continued to take an anti-seizure drug and mood stabilizer. Yeah, Experts have since pointed to this moment as the, the case's turning point in that her symptoms closely resemble schizophrenia and -hmm. should have been treated as such. However, religious figures have also noted that every single priest who met Annalise eventually concluded that she was possessed. I remember uh, the guy that I used to work with that had schizophrenia. Every once in a while he would just start flipping on and talking weird things, and he would just get right in your face and go, Who is your God? Who is your God? Who is your God? He also had developmental disabilities, didn't he? That's true. That's true, yeah. He would. But that was that's some freaky shit right yeah. there. Like, somebody just yelling that in your face, and you have to just, like, 
All right, buddy. You ready for bed? Yeah. <laughs> See you later. Yeah. Want to play some more? Uh, Want to play another game of billiards? Or uh, <laughs> who is your god? Uh, I don't know. My god is man. I guess Jesus. Uh, <laughs> who's your god? Uh, after applying twice for an exorcism, Annalise and her family became dispirited. Wait, after what? Applying twice for an exorcism. You have to apply for yeah. an exorcism? Yes. The Catholic Church doesn't just grant them. The young Michelle experienced severe, intense suicidal episodes during okay. which she ate insects, spurned religious objects, harmed herself, and even drank her own urine. You said spurned religious yeah. Yeah. objects? Yeah. Spurned them? Like, wouldn't, shunned like, wouldn't, them. Like, she, like wouldn't like go near them? them, yes. Okay, I see. I, thought, I didn't know if you said spurned or burned. No. <laughs> Although Annalise had returned home for family support. Wait, what was the last thing? Spurned religious objects and what? Drank her own urine. Oh, <laughs> wait. You missed that one. <laughs> how am I going to just gloss over that yeah, one? Yeah, yeah. Uh, drank her own urine? Yeah. Well, yeah. You know, at one point, do you like, okay, there may be something wrong with her. She's drinking right. her own pee. Like, that's where I would be like, that's that's where I cut it off. That's yeah. I'm like, okay. Something's really that's wrong. That's enough. This isn't a joke anymore. Yeah, something's really loopy. Although Annalise had returned home for family support, the Toledo Blade... The Toledo Blade, y'all! ...reports the family experienced paranormal activity, such as swarms of flies, flickering lights, and telephone calls from people who later claimed not to have called. Did this happen in Toledo? I love that... No, it happened in Germany, but I love that... The Toledo Blade is the source? Yeah. It's a great paper. I love that the there's all these things, flickering lights and all this paranormal activity, and then the last thing is people, people who lay calls from people who later claim they never called like that that's so not scary yeah um compared to the other things you know gary called that's the other thing no i didn't oh i love that's the toledo blade is the source that's uh you know being from toledo originally that's uh the paper that we grew up uh reading so in 1975, the family's third exorcism request met with success. Oh, finally, somebody let them do it. And the right of exorcism was granted by the Bishop of Würzburg, Joseph Stengel. Okay, Joseph Stengel, y'all. He then appointed local pastor Ernst Alt and former Chinese missionary father Arnold Renz, who oh. chose the 17th century ritual Romanum as that's the a, basis for the exorcism. That's the exorcism dream team right there, baby. That's what I'm, that's what I'm thinking. They began on September 24th, 1975. Oh, you mean the same time Starsky and Hutch were assigned to escort the daughter of a crime boss from San Francisco to Los Angeles, but a security leak had unleashed hordes of hitmen that they must evade and rout? Yes, I bet. Yeah, that was on. Starsky and Hutch, baby. That's when they began the exorcism. That was probably on in the room while they were exercising. Yeah, they probably was. Huggy Bear was probably walking by going, hey, baby. So they at one point managed to rid Annalise of all but one demon, only to have them all return the next day. Oh, man, they were making such progress. On the whole, Michelle believed she had been possessed by more than six demons, including... Lucifer, Judas yeah. Iscariot, okay. Nero, Cain, mm-hmm. Hitler, yeah. and yeah. a disgraced priest. Well, that's pretty. That's talk about a dream team. That's pretty good. The disgraced priest doesn't really just fit in. Like, what yeah. disgraced priest? Like, what did he do? When questioned about the reason for the possession, the demons replied that she'd been cursed for her mother's infidelity. Oh, I, well, that makes sense then. That's cool. Well, that's yeah, why. that makes sense. Your mom, she, yeah, she, well, she already wore the black gown for God's sakes. Isn't that enough? Yep. In the beginning of July 1975, Annalise began to claim she was being regularly visited by Mother Mary. Mm-hmm. While taking a walk with her fiancé, Peter, which... Peter? Mary? That she's got a fiancé? Where's Paul? Oh, yeah, he's staying through her with all this? Yeah. Well, I thought about when she was drinking her pee that I might break up with her, but, you yeah. know, I'm not going to do it. Well, taking a walk with her fiancé, Peter, Annalise dropped to her knees, claimed later that she'd spoken with the Virgin. Two months later... 
During a quiet period, she was again visited by the Virgin Mary, who asked her to do penance for lost souls. Shortly thereafter, Annalise agreed, and the possession intensified. The exorcism progressed to include more than 67 rites conducted over 10 months with one or two sessions a week. That's a lot of exorcism. I mean, that's a little exorcism overkill, you know. Yeah. But he's still like, we're going to have our wedding soon, so we got to get these yeah, gotta gotta get get taken care of. During this time, Annalise was known to urinate freely and eat bugs, dead animals, and coal. On, coal? Mm-hmm. On one occasion, she got under a table and barked like a dog for two full days. Two days of that. Well, I'm thinking you know, this might be it. I just might call the wedding off. <laughs> You're barking uh, like a dog for two days. She's peeing all over days. the place. She's, bar- she's been barking for two days. Mm. Uh, she keeps eating the co- well. At least the cockroach problem's going away. She's eating the cockroaches. Uh, I'm getting close to thinking this marriage isn't going to work out. I'll just hang on a little bit Who's longer. Check and see what happens. I'll just see. I'll just, I'll write it out. The experience did Michelle great harm with her knee ligaments rupturing after hundreds of genuflections. You know what you know what that is. I don't know what a genuflection. Genuflect. You bow. You bow one knee like as you walk down the aisle in Catholic church. Uh-huh. You bow one knee down. It's you do? genuine, and you kind of bow like that, and so then you go do, into the she's aisle. She's doing that hundreds of times. Mm-hmm. That would hurt your knees. In addition, with the return of her convulsions around Easter of that year, Annalise started refusing food and drink to protect herself against Satan's influence. Well, that might work. Despite the harm to herself, Annalise was focused on dying to atone for the sins of others. Oh well. During the final exorcism, Annalise's parents had to carry her through the motions as she only weighed 68 pounds and was too weak to move her body. She died on July 1st of severe dehydration and malnutrition, along with a high fever and pneumonia. Her final words... She she died the same day as uh, Eddie Mecca and Ann Mira were on the $10,000 pyramid. You know who Eddie Mecca is, right? No. Carmine from La Furniture. Oh, okay. So while she's dying... Carmine was answering funny questions. So her final words to the exorcist were beg for absolution and to her mother, mother, I'm afraid. Afterwards, the parents and priests were harshly criticized for their role in Annalise's death. In particular, several medical specialists noted that if the young woman had been forced fed even a week before her death, she would have lived through the experience. However, Annalise herself had played an important part in her own fate, such that the four defendants could not be so harshly judged. In particular, during the events of the trial, Annalise's sister would point out that she had not wanted to eat, much less be force-fed, because she had been intent on dying for other sins. She wouldn't even eat a Twinkie. The case came to trial on March 30th, 1978. She wouldn't eat any devil's food. Oh, March 30th, 1978. That's when Grandma comes home on the Waltons. Grandma returns from the hospital, but the family does not let her do anything. Oh, what a predicament. You see, Ellen Corby had recovered enough from her stroke to return to the series. Oh, that's delightful. Also, an overweight boy is interested in Elizabeth. What? (laughs) On the Waltons? A fat kid is interested in Elizabeth Walton. She doesn't know what to do. What do I do? He's a fat kid. He's overweight. He smells. I don't like him. The, the case came to trial then, at, on March 30th, with 1978, with an intense public interest in the fates of the four defendants. While Father Arnold Renz and Pastor Ernst Al were represented by a church-appointed lawyer, Joseph and Anna Michelle had had to employ their own. Oh. Doctors testified that Annalise had been suffering from the psychological effects of an exceptionally harsh upbringing, while the bishop, who had okayed her exorcism, noted that he'd been unaware of Michelle's health conditions. They should get the, the lawyer from the staircase. Oh, yeah. Where'd she get that guy? On the one hand, the defense argued that all four defendants were protected by the German Constitution, and an exorcism should occur as 
protected religious practice. Huh. Furthermore, they play tapes of Annalise's demons, and you can hear these. What? You can hear the video, audio of her exorcisms. You can hear the demons? Yeah. I mean, you can hear her, her doing that. Oh, doing that crazy voice. voice. Yeah. It's just through her voice. But it's creepy. It's really creepy. Really? It is, yes. Where do you hear this? Where you, would can, I... you can Google it. What should I Google? Annalise Michelle Audio. Okay. Annalise um, Michelle Audio. So take a moment, listeners. Pull over in your car. If you're in your car, um, stop or stop in the middle of traffic and just get out of your car and Google this. And we'll wait. All right. So pause, pause our podcast. Okay. So so great. Thank. Did you listen? Wasn't that creepy? So uh, in the end, all four were found guilty of negligent homicide and sentenced to six months in prison, suspended with three years probation. Huh. Although the prison time was later waived, the Michelles paid the costs of a three-week trial, while the priests only faced minor fines. Huh. Many agree that the events of Annalise's exorcism seem to show gross negligence on the priest's part for not having a medical professional on site in case of an emergency. Yeah. However, as reported in the Toledo Blade at the time, Toledo Blade, y'all. The exorcism, Toledo Blade was I don't know. The exorcism ritual explicitly notes that they are not responsible for medical matters. In the decades since Annalise Michelle died, her story has lived on as the basis of many fictional accounts, including the films The Exorcism of Emily Rose. Do you remember, remember that movie? Nope. That was 2005. Uh-uh. Requiem in 2008. Requiem for a Dream. And Annalise, The Exorcist Tapes. Most provide a warning whether to take the supernatural more seriously or to recognize the complex nature of mental illness. Huh, yeah, definitely mental illness is the whole thing here. Yeah, the problem may have been that Annalise was never epileptic in the first place. In that case, the medications could have intensified her hallucinations to the point of feeling possessed. So the drug made it crazy. Yes. It points, yeah. There, um, I really can't understand why the Toledo Blade would be reporting any of this. They have, they have like know, a German reporter or do they have like a somebody focuses on the occult or i don't know yeah she was buried on the outer edges of a local cemetery just beside her half-sister martha in an area reserved for suicides and illegitimate children however she was not able to rest in peace at least not after a, a carmelite nun from southern bavaria had a vision of her body being intact in the grave in 1978 after receiving word from the nun the michelles had her coffin exhumed and replaced with a lined oak coffin by Did all you say rep- a caramel, carmelite a, nun, carmelite nun. What yeah. does that mean? Carmelite nun. That's a. It's an order of nuns. Oh, because I I love caramel. Not love caramel. Caramel. By caramel. all reports, the body had decayed just as much as one would expect from any ordinary person, but that hadn't stopped the pilgrim from visiting her grave. The pilgrims from visiting her grave. Oh. Many even consider her an unofficial saint with the ability to save lost souls through her past suffering. Really. Yep. A saint. Annalise. So that's a story of Annalise Michelle, one of the more famous stories of a real quote-unquote exorcism. Um, and I thought it, it, it was interesting that it comes out the same year as the all these movie devil movies and stuff. Like, it makes me wonder, did, had she seen, the maybe seen the movie The Exorcist? Yeah, and then just was copying what she saw in there. Yeah. Yeah, I would guess, uh, yeah, I would guess that's what it is. Uh but there's, you can even find pictures of her, and it's she looks awful. Like, you can see a picture of her when she's, like, normal, and then the picture of her near the end of her ex, all those exorcisms, and she she looks possessed. It's, really? Yeah. Annalise, what's her name? A-N-N-E-L-I-S-E. Oops. Annalise what? Michelle, M-I-C-H-E-L. Oh, Michelle, that's right. I'll cut this out, but I just want to. 
Ugh, gross. Oh, she looks pretty with her. I know, picture. right? Poor thing. She was a very pretty girl, and then she. And then. Yeah. Actually, I'm really into her. No, I'm just kidding. Um, but you see the pictures of the before yeah, and then after, the, and then, yeah. Poor thing. So she probably saw that movie and went crazy. But plus, was on those drugs that she didn't need to be yeah. on. Yeah, that didn't really fuck you up. I know. Man, that's gross. Yeah. I, I, f- I feel sad, and I want to take a shower. I know. <laughs> a lot that's of your stories of make one. me uh, make that make me feel that way. Well, it's just amazing that that it's just one of those battles it's like well it's their religious beliefs should that trump you know getting medical a treatment but i mean there's people like christian scientists who don't believe in any medicine and right any medical attention and it's like well my grandmother doesn't believe in any medical attention she'll never die she's 174 but what i'm saying is for your children that's where that's yeah, when it's like that's where it's like you're making the decision for your child based on your belief. Right. They that, don't get a chance. They don't get a believe. voice yeah. in it. And at what age, you know, is that no longer valid? And I mean, I would yeah. say she's she was definitely old. But I mean, she even believed it. So. Right. She didn't want uh, she, was she a, would want yeah. to die. Yeah. But it's just I don't know. It's it's hard yeah. to say. Well, that's the thing. Maybe maybe everything is all just. Maybe all mental illness isn't mental illness at all. It's just it's all devils possessing. Well, or being possessed by aliens, or you just want it to be aliens, aliens, or other dimensions, or no. There's just more to our reality. That sounds than, very silly. There's just more to our reality than meets the eye. I think you think like, you know, like you believe in devil worship and I don't know possessions. No, nobody can explain what the hell, where, how our planet got here. Like, how did our solar system? Like, nobody gets it. Like. How are we even here? Well, there's alive? some people that know. <coughs> Neil deGrasse Tyson. Yeah. That guy knows. That's right. He's too smart and he can't, understand, he can't put it in layman's terms. All right. Thank you. That wraps it up for That's tonight. That's it? You think we're done? I think so. And then we'll start up with July 4th of 1976. Oh, that's going to be we'll a shebang. Bicentennial. Yes. All the bicentennial stuff. There's like bonsai trees that are gifted what? and George Washington was exhumed and they brought him back to life. All kinds of crazy stuff happened. That's right. That we're going to cover next episode. We'll start with July and we'll just get right through. So you have to have a shorter story next time so we can get through all that. Okay. Uh, but it's the, we'll start with the bicentennial on our next episode. This has been uh, episode. I think I got a good one next time. Or no, I'm thinking of 70. I'm, I'm thinking of 77. So you have a terrible one this time? No, it's not bad, but I, I got a really. You have a really good one next um, episode? 77 and 78 are bananas. Oh, the next years. But next episode, you don't have anything good. Yeah, I mean, it's fine. It, it It's it's good, but it's not like 77 and 78, like I said, bananas. Like, so, I have so many to pick from. So you're saying episode 45 will be, yeah, but episode 46, 47, 48 will That's be right. great. 49 right. and 50. That's pretty much Because our 50th saying. episode, you got to get good. That's like halfway through 1779. Like yeah. Like 50 episodes. <coughs> this this has been episode 44 of American Timelines by History for Jerks. That's right. Those of you who've been listening to all 44 episodes, guess what? You get a prize. If you can prove to us that you've listened to all 44 episodes, you can have one night with a bear sexually. You can have sex with a bear. I'm going to find a bear. I'm going to catch it. And you can have sex with it. Okay. It's time yep. to get out of here, Chuck Berry. Get out of here, Chuck Berry. Stop checking out bears naked. What? Bear sex. Remember that book? Yeah. Had sex with a bear. Right. What does that have to do with Chuck Berry? Rick Ryers is a son of a bitch. All right.
American Timelines is a member of the Queen City Podcast Network. For more information, go to queencitypodcastnetwork.com.